Hey everyone, I'm Chris Hadley, and welcome to another edition of the Viewfinder Podcast. On today's show, you'll hear my conversation with Matt Kaplan, a first-time filmmaker whose short film debut, It's Time for Tea, which he directed, wrote, and produced, is both a humorous look at a solemn part of life, and a case study of how working with the right people can make a great difference in the intimidating atmosphere of a film set. Out on the festival circuit, It's Time for Tea will be seen at the Long Island International Film Expo on July 12th in Belmore, New York, and at the Berkshire Short Film Festival in Pittsfield, Massachusetts on September 28th. More information on those screenings can be found in the show notes for this episode of the podcast. Expanding upon a comedy skit that Kaplan developed with the help of a psychologist, It's Time for Tea co-stars Mary Rosewood as Rebecca and June Naito as Alan, a couple who mourn the death of their daughter in completely opposite ways. While Rebecca tries to hold back her grief, Alan expresses his pain by literally turning himself into a child, albeit one in a grown-up's body. Calling on the services of psychiatrist Dr. Herman, played by Mickey Ryan, Rebecca tries to bring her lost husband back to reality, but it's a mission that will require her to understand the child that has taken over the man she loves. Though Kaplan never attended film school, his education came by seeing up close how the collaborative process of filmmaking works when it's practiced on the set. Having worked on an assortment of projects before making his directorial debut on It's Time for Tea, Kaplan recruited some longtime friends to team up with him on the film. Their experience in various parts of the filmmaking process boosted Kaplan's confidence as much as it did his efforts in putting its time for tea together. With Kaplan's experience as an example, those filmmakers in our audience who may be planning to start their first project will learn about what it really takes to make a film that you can be proud of, one that audiences and festival programmers will especially jump at the chance to see. You'll hear all that and more in my interview with Matt Kaplan now on the Viewfinder Podcast. What was your primary inspiration for making It's Time for Tea? The, the film started actually as an improvised scene um, that I had done a few years ago. And um, that was sort of the, the seed of it. And it started, it was more of just like a quick, jokey, improvised scene. But there was something there that I really liked. The idea of a... Uh, parent after losing a child uh, starts acting like that child in order to replace her. Um, at that point, I wrote it into a sketch, uh, fleshed it out a little bit, and um, from there, I, I presented it to the sketch group I was working with at the time, and it didn't really fit into the show we were doing, but people in my sketch group really loved it, and they said, you know, there's something here. This should be something more than, than just a, a one-joke sketch. Uh, and people suggested either a play or a short film. And so that's where I eventually took it to the short film. This film, of course, takes a funny yet heartfelt look at how people try to cope with losing a loved one, even if that coping is done in unusual ways. Describe how you work to expand the story from a comedy sketch to a fully fleshed out short film and how you tried to ground the story and its characters in reality, given the subject matter of this film. I definitely had some help all along the way, but uh, as far as writing out the, the, the bring it from a sketch to a film, um, I talked a lot with 
June Nido, who in the film plays the part of Alan, uh, he was really interested in getting involved with the film. Um, he is, he's a professional SAG actor, but as many actors, even if they're working, they're not necessarily getting the parts they really feel connected to or feel passionate about. Uh, he loved this idea, wanted to be part of it. Um, so he helped me a lot with that to flesh it out and make it something um, both comedic, but also something heartfelt um, that can be told in about 10 minutes. Um, and it's, it's really helpful to have an actor uh, reading along and giving you notes because they're the ones that have to feel it and, and perform it. Um, another great help I had with it is uh, my friend Warren Schwartz, who's a psychologist. We've been friends since high school. And um, not only is he an artist, so he, he gets the whole idea of expressing yourself artfully, but um, as a psychologist, he was able to sort of put his two cents in um, about the grieving process. Uh, thankfully, I've never had to face anything as severe as the loss as the characters Alan and Rebecca do in the film. So it was really excellent, uh, a great opportunity to have someone like him, a professional, to assist me with that. Um, so yeah, it, it was just really talking to different people. Um, I think there was a part of the question I didn't answer. What did I miss on that one, Chris? Basically, what it was was how you expanded the story from the comedy sketch to the short film as it is now. And since I think you mentioned working with Warren Schwartz about on the subject matter of this film, I guess that was basically how you try to ground the everything in, its, in reality. Right. Yes. Yeah. And I guess it was also just looking at how we, as a society, deal with death. Um, and again, although I, I've had, I have lost some people close to me, nothing like this. Um, but, you know, we don't really get uh, instructions. We don't get a roadmap of how to deal with stuff, um, any kind of obstacle in our life, but especially something as severe as this. Um, so, it, you know, it's something I think about from time to time and uh, something I was able to explore with this film of how we deal with it. And, you know, I, I doubt that there's anything ever extreme as Alan's situation as this, but um, people do deal with things differently. The character of Rebecca, she deals with the loss very opposite where she kind of closes herself off. Um, she repress, represses her pain, excuse me, um, in order to move past it quickly, which I'm sure some people do when, when, when things hit them hard in life. They're like, well, you know, I either don't have the time for it or I don't have the tools of how to deal with it. So I'm just going to push it deep inside and move past it as quick as possible. So I, I've, I think it's interesting how we all deal with obstacles, whether it's something small or something as severe as this. And I think from seeing the screen of copy of the film that you sent me, it'll give people a very funny, but also a very realistic and heartwarming look at how people deal with grief, even though it's on the extreme opposite sides as, as, as exemplified through the characters. Yes, and, and thank you for, for mentioning that. Um, I mean, for myself, comedy is always a part of not only how I write stuff, but also how I deal with stuff. I mean, obviously there's a time to joke and times not to, but whenever possible, I try to bring some levity into a situation. Um, I feel that often helps people connect. 
going back to working with Warren Schwartz, the psychologist, how did your conversations with him and the advice that he gave you inform the approach that you took to the story, its characters, and their individual quirks, qualities, and needs as applied to the story? Um, yeah, we discussed um, basically how people deal with trauma and uh, grieving um, and how everybody kind of deals with it differently. In this case, the character of Alan regresses. So we talked a lot about that, which is something that I was not very familiar with, although, you know, I was writing it, I introduced it to this character and to this film, but it was something I needed a better idea of understanding regression, that it's very complicated. And with that, uh, June, who played Alan, a character that regresses, was very interested in talking to Warren as well, because I think it's very easy to play it really broad and make the child, make the character just act childish in sort of a goo goo gaga way. But uh, that was not what June wanted to do. It's not what I wanted. So actually, uh, Warren uh, lives um, in Rhode Island. He was in New Hampshire at the time. Uh, we're in Brooklyn, New York. So uh, Warren came down and visited for the weekend. And the three of us, me, uh, Warren, and June, we met for some Vietnamese sandwiches and uh, discussed the character. June is, uh, for lack of a better expression, likes to nerd out about his characters that he's playing. He studies his characters very intensely. So it was important for him to really understand a character and to get all the background he can about how a character might behave when they're regressing due to a traumatic event. And you worked with June Naito previously on the supernatural horror web series, Disturbances, which you had a role in on one episode and which you also worked on as a writer, producer, and director. How did that experience prepare you for working on It's Time for Tea with him? Uh, Disturbances was a lot of fun. Um, I love horror genre. It's not everything I do, but I do love it. And I was able to collaborate with a bunch of friends. Uh, basically, we all wrote an episode and then cast each other in it. Um, and um, I mean, part of it was just uh, uh, learning about the process. Um, I didn't go to film school, so it's always been sort of on set where I've been learning things. So it gave me great exposure to the process from beginning to end. Um, but it also helped me identify certain things that maybe I would have wanted to do differently. And that's why ultimately I chose to make the film myself, um, to direct it myself and sort of be the, the person who's making the final decisions because I love collaboration. I love working with others. I feel like we're all stronger when we're sharing ideas, but you know, there, there is some compromise. There is some sacrifice with that. Um, so one major thing I took away from that and other projects I've worked on is basically if you want something done, do it yourself. And right. although It's Time for Tea was extremely collaborative, I couldn't have done it without the generous and passionate help of so many other people. At the end of the day, I was the one making the final call, calls. Yeah. And of course, having not attended film school, you pretty much learned the craft of writing and filmmaking by watching and observing and by doing. Now, how did that experience that you had on those sets, plus the time that you spent directing comedy sketches, prepare you for the responsibilities and challenges of doing It's Time for Tea? Um, 
It's well, I mean, I've, I've always been a writer. Um, so as far as the writing of it, that was more, a lot of it was just learning the formatting of stuff. Uh, but as far as the filmmaking itself, um, yeah, I don't have the filmmaking background. I don't consider myself a technical person. Um, so in certain ways, uh, you know, I, I, I feel like I wasn't quite prepared. Um, so I gave myself a good six months of pre-production. Um, and then I made sure I found the right people to work with. Uh, my mantra throughout the film was surround yourself with people you trust and then trust them. And uh, the second part is really important because it's easy to bring in some experts, but then second guess them. I knew at some point I needed to just be like, this person knows what he or she is doing and I need to go with that. Um, so I was able to find some amazing people to work with and support me along the way. Um, so yeah, cause I, I knew I would never be completely prepared or ready, but I also knew that I, I had to make this film. I wanted to make this film. And a lot of the people you worked on, it's time for tea. You knew for years, talked about, talk about how you, how and when you met them and how they became part of this project. Sure. Um, so the person I've known actually longest on the film is Karen Morris, who is the assistant director and one of the producers. We worked together when we were in high school. We went to different high schools uh, in neighboring uh, high schools. Uh, we worked at a record world, uh, Square Circle record, record World, no longer around. Uh, we met there in our senior year of high school, lost touch, um, and then connected again on Facebook a few years back. Um, and so we were sort of in the same indie uh, film world. Um, and not only is Karen a great friend and very talented, but she was the one that insisted that I direct it. Um, I, uh, I knew I wanted to make the film, but I was looking for someone to direct it. I couldn't find someone and Karen was, hey, this is your baby, you should direct it. So I did it. Um, so yeah, we go back uh, many years. Um, and then uh, Joe Feldman, who uh, did an amazing job composing the score with his friend, Jonathan Capsis, uh, Joe and I worked together uh, in a kosher kitchen in a sleepaway camp when we were teenagers. Um, and although Joe lives on the West Coast now, um, we've stayed in touch, remained friends. Joe and John have been writing songs together for ages, uh, and they wanted to take on a bigger project, which was this. Um, and so it was a great challenge for them, but they're, they're very happy with it, as, as I am. Um, uh, Gary Levitt, who did the sound. We've been friends since college. Uh, June and I have been friends since we met in an improv class, um, probably close to 10 years now, maybe eight years ago. Um, Patrick Devani, who is, um, he's, he's in the film. He's an actor in a film. He's a co-producer. Um, he's an editor and basically overall a hand holder. He's one of the people that I leaned on a lot. Patrick has make, been making films for many years now, understands the ins and outs of everything from being on set to the post-production to just submitting your films to film festivals. Um, we've, we work a couple of jobs together and we also uh, just know each other from the New York and Long Island uh, indie film world. Um, and then um, everyone else, I pretty, oh, I'm sorry, also um, Patty Buckheit, who is the, um, the art director, uh, made props, 
did so many things. We known each other maybe close to 15 years now. We worked together uh, a couple of jobs together in the uh, toy industry together. That's some of my non-film background. Um, and we love working together. And she's always anxious to get involved with my next project. Uh, she and her fiance, Michelle, um, they were gracious enough to lend me their house for the weekend. We filmed in their house in Farmingdale. Michelle was also uh, took care of our craft services. And um, it was just so gracious of them to, to give us a house because we basically took over the house for the weekend. Um, but yeah, everyone else I've met more over the last few years, uh, special effects artists, um, Beatrice Sniper, I've known a few years, I met her on set, she's incredible. Once you all see the film, you'll see what she did, which is mind blowing. Um, I met Jake Horgan, the DP, a couple of years ago through a friend who recommended him and then he brought in his crew. Um, my friend Wellington, he was the uh, best boy, which is basically running around and doing everything on set. Uh, we've been friends a few years. Uh, he's a location scout, but he understands the film world, so he jumped on and helped with that. So, um, yeah, it's very collaborative, and it's amazing to be able to work with so many friends, many of them that I've known like half of my life. Yeah. How did those relationships and the expertise they had in film production ease the obvious difficulties of getting this film produced? Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of it is just trust and support, friendship, to know that, like, it feels good to know that people have your back, that, um, you know, when you're on set, you can only do so much. You can't, you can't do it all, especially if, uh, a small production like this. Um, so just to know that, like, no matter what happens, everybody is there and it really allowed us to go through the, the two-day shoot extremely smoothly like pretty much everything went well which is not always the case um, for any film whether it's a super low budget or a zillion dollar marvel movie or whatever it is um, things often go wrong they usually do so um, i think the fact that we had lots of time to prepare and that I had a lot of great people working with me that really cared about the film, that everyone sort of went the extra mile to, to be there and help out. Um, and so we, we, we stayed afloat and we were able to make this film. Yeah, and they all did a terrific job, as did you. Thank you. Now, for any, for any first time filmmakers who might be listening to this, I want you to detail the process that you undertook to make this movie from pre to post-production and basically explain to people how that works given the fact that, like you said, you never went to film school. You learn pretty much by watching, observing, and seeing how everything works out and by doing it all by yourself. And in total, I just wanted to use, I wanted to, get from your from, from you your perspective your experience and what you went through in work in making it time yeah like i said there's a lot of planning I, I did give myself i mean i don't i don't know what others do but i gave myself a good six months to make a 10 uh, six months of pre-production to make a 10 minute film 
um, because I knew I needed that. I, you know, I had the time. It wasn't like anyone was specifically waiting for this release. Um, it was my own money that I spent. So uh, I didn't have to worry about other people's timeline. Um, I just made sure that the, the, the shoot date worked out for everybody. Um, and yeah, it was, it was uh, preparation. Uh, Jake Horgan, the director of photography, was so generous with his time and so passionate about the, the project um, that we met many times before pre-production, just sitting down over and over again with the script with uh, dry erase boards and uh, he's so talented and knowledgeable and he kind of gave me uh, a kind of a, a quick tutorial in how to make films, kind of basics of uh, different shots, uh, different uh, camera equipment, um, just so I understood uh, where, what he would be talking about as we were doing it. And uh, because I didn't have the film background, especially the technical parts of it. Um, I'm very fortunate that he was so patient and generous with his time to not only explain everything to me, but also uh, take the lead on some of those things that maybe the DP doesn't always take. Um, but at the same time, do it without ego, do it with complete respect and kindness as well. Um, and that goes across the board. Everybody really took the time to go that extra mile to make sure that we were all happy. Let's talk about the cast of It's Time for Tea. What are their characters like for those who haven't seen the film yet? Um, so, yeah, as I mentioned, the, uh, the couple is uh, Rebecca and Alan, played by Maya Rosewood and June Nido. Um, then there's the character of Dr. Herman, played by um, Mickey Ryan. And then Patrick Devani plays another character, which um, for those of you who haven't seen it, I don't want to give away too much. Um, so we can come back to that. Um, yeah. If anyone sees the film and wants to discuss that, uh, you can always reach me and talk about that. Um, but um, so yeah, uh, Alan and Rebecca, they, they lose the child. Rebecca represses her pain to move on while Alan regresses to the age of their daughter who they lost, Sophia, to replace her. Uh, Mickey Ryan plays Dr. Herman. He comes in to um, help out. And as much as he's helping Alan um, with his regression, in the bigger picture, in the way I see it, he's more there to help Rebecca with her pain and her inability to deal with the loss of the child and to deal with what her husband is going through. As a first time director, what have you learned from your experience working on It's Time for Tea and how will you plan to apply that knowledge to whatever you work on in the future? I'm, I'm sorry, my experience with, with what specifically? I'm sorry, Yeah. With, with working on It's Time for Tea and basically what I asked was how you were going to apply the knowledge that you would gain from working on this film to the next projects that you do? I see. Um, it's funny, like, at, like right when I was done doing it, it, it took so much out of me. I was like, well, that's it. I've done my one film. I can move on to something else. But now, uh, now that it's been a little while, I'm itchy again. So uh, I, I would be interested in making something else. Um, and what, um, you know, I, I, I guess I would... 
what I would take with it is a lot of things that I feel like I did right, and that is finding the right people, making sure you're prepared, um, and really not taking anything for granted that, um, you know, you, you do have to prepare, you do have to be ready, you do have to find the right people, you have to find the right cast, um, and, and I'm thankful that I did. I mean, it's, it, you have to find the, the right sound person. You have to find the right uh, DP and, and gaffer and everything else, because especially in, in, as, a, as a first time or new filmmaker, if you're submitting it to films, if you're screening it at local screenings, people, viewers or judges at festivals, they see thousands upon thousands of films all the time. Um, it's easier than ever to make a film yourself. You can make it on your phone. You can edit it on iMovie that comes with your Mac. Um, it's, it's easy to make a film. It's not easy to make a good film, but it's easy to make a film. So even if your film is better than others, you still have so much competition out of the gate. So don't give judges or viewers any reason to dismiss your film. So for example, a lot of people think, well, I'll just do sound myself or I'll, I'll get my, my cousin Louie to, to do sound on this. And um, you, know, you don't wanna do that. You wanna make sure you're getting a good sound because it, it, as soon as the film comes on, if it's, you, you hear the, the brushing of wind or that the voice is not clear, people are gonna be like, well, that's an indication that this is a piece of crap, so I'm not gonna watch anymore. Um, so that, 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 to answer your question, that's part of it, of, of what I did right. Um, the other things uh, that is a learning process for me is more of the post-production part of it. Um, there's a lot of things that I took for granted. Thankfully, Patrick has been there to help me, but so much of the post-production that I didn't understand um, of just, editing of uh, color correcting of getting your film into um, uh, certain resolutions um, for submissions for getting into certain submission packages um, so much of that that I didn't know and it was a learning process um, and tough at times um, so so that was a big part of it um, another thing um, that you know, depending on what I do next, but I, this is a note for me, and I guess any other new filmmaker, if, if, you're, if your goal is to get this film into um, a, um, a film festival, not only do you wanna make sure that your production and your acting and everything is of the best quality, um, but it's probably not a bad idea to sort of grab them in the first minute, the first 20, 30 seconds. And I wouldn't say do that to betray your, your vision of the film, but it doesn't hurt if right away you give a judge in a film festival something that is gonna make the judge say, wow, what else is going on here? That is not something I did with this film. It's more of a slow burn. I wouldn't change it. I love the film, but if I was making another short film for the purpose of trying to get into festivals, as many festivals as I can, I might do that differently. Oh, speaking of festivals, it's time for T has screened at several festivals throughout the country. What memories do you have of attending those festivals, of how audiences reacted to the film, and of what you learned from talking to other filmmakers you met at each fest? 
Sure. So at this point, uh, it's time for Tea is screened in three festivals. Unfortunately, because of either distance or scheduling, uh, I've only been able to attend one of those. Hopefully that will be changing in some upcoming ones. Um, but the one that I did get to was the New York premiere at the Big Apple Film Festival, um, which, takes, which took place in New York City, a great festival that views uh, its screens at uh, Sinopolis um, Theater, which is a really amazing fest, uh, excuse me, theater uh, on 23rd Street in Manhattan, um, a big professional theater with gigantic screens and great sound, also comfortable chairs. Um, it was a great festival and it was amazing to see my film that for the most part I've watched on my laptop to see it on this giant screen um, to be able to hear Joe and John's score and this great sound system. Um, so right there, that was, it was kind of an unreal experience. I had a great turnout. Uh, many people, cast and crew from the film, uh, friends came. We had a great showing. It, it just felt really amazing. Um, it, it felt like sort of like the, the best birthday party you can have when, when you're surrounded by all these people celebrating you. Um, so it was really great. Um, I you know, got a chance to meet a lot of the other filmmakers and actors and the other films that screened during the same block as us. Um, and it, it's really special. I mean, it's one thing when uh, a friend of yours sees something you do or hears something you do or reads something you do or, and, and tells you it's great. And I believe them. It's true. I know it. But when a stranger does it, it's even more special because that stranger doesn't have any reason to come up to you. Uh, after the film or doesn't have any other reason to uh, raise their hand during a question and answer and ask you a very thoughtful question. So just, just to kind of get that feeling of like, hey, people are liking this film besides people that know me. That really makes it feel more legitimate that all this hard work and money that you've put into it, that people beyond your circle are, are liking it. And, and that was an amazing experience and I hope to have many more of them soon. The film screen on your birthday? No, no, no. I'm saying it was, oh. uh, it felt like just like an amazing like birthday party. Yeah. Like, like that, like this is like who you are, what you've been working towards, and you have all these people there with you to celebrate it. Yeah. I can definitely get that feeling. I can definitely understand that. Yeah. Now, how has the experience of taking its time to see the film festivals help you to grow creatively in your filmmaking career? while growing your skills in the business of filmmaking? That's a good question. And something I continue to work on, um, I'm sure I'm not alone uh, as an artist who has trouble selling themselves to others um, in that business way. Um, that's not something natural to me or comfortable. Um, I don't want to feel like I'm being pushy to people. I don't want to be that annoying jerk that, uh, keeps asking, watch this, read this, help me. Um, but it's what we have to do. You, you, no one's going to get far without that. So it's something um, that I've been working on, something I'm trying to sort of just get over myself and not worry about it and trust that even if I'm doing that, um, people won't mind that much. They'll understand. And the worst that happens is people say no or just ignore it. And I have to sort of get used to that. Um, so it's something that I continue to push myself 
to do. Um, and um, thankfully, I have some amazing support with family and friends, especially my girlfriend, Jess, who is, she believes in me and she pushes me. Um, here's, I'm, I'm going a little bit away from that, but just to give you an example that, that I enjoy. Um, I'm, I've been working on this other TV series called Reggie and Reinhardt um, that I, I really love. Um, just to give you a quick background of it, I kind of see it as uh, sort of a Laurel and Hardy pairing in a Twilight Zone world as directed by Joel and Ethan Cohn. Um, anyone interested, please contact me and we can just discuss more. Sure. But um, recently uh, in Brooklyn near me at the Bell House, two comedians and filmmakers that I love, Bobcat Goldthwait and Dana Gould were performing there. And uh, I was like, wow, I would love these guys to read this. They're like perfect for this project. They, have, they, they share that same sort of dark comedic sensibility as I do. But I was like, what am I gonna just like, at the show, ask them to read it? And my girlfriend Jess was like, yeah. Um, so uh, I took this, the script and a series Bible and a note to each of them, put it on flash drives after the show, went up to them, gave them each a flash drive. Nothing has happened with it. Um, it's been like, I don't maybe a couple of months now, but no big deal, you know. Um, hey, Bob, Dana, you listening? Check it out. But um, the point is that I did it. I was, I was like shaking, standing there, waiting to give it to them. And they were so sweet and nice and they, they said thank you. Maybe they did read it and didn't like it. Maybe they threw it in their suitcase and forgot about it. I don't know. But the point is that um, with the support of my girlfriend, um, I went and I did it. I got over myself and it was fine. They didn't, I'm sure afterwards they didn't be like, well, that guy's an asshole. You know, so it's, it's, it's one of those things where I need to continue to push myself and get over myself and, and, and be pushy with others and ask for favors. And um, it's hard, and, but it's, it's what we all need to do. Definitely. I can totally get that. Besides the comedy that you just mentioned, what projects are you working on right now? Yeah, so that, that's a big one that I feel strong about. Um, I also have been working on a feature screenplay called Zombie Extra. It's about an unhappy actor who gets attacked by a zombie, and then the only work he can get is as a background extra in uh, zombie movies. Uh, it's basically a tale of a man who does not feel alive until he becomes undead. Um, so I've been working on that. And in fact, last night, I had a bunch of people over here at my place served them all some tacos, and we did a full table read of the full thing, and I got some amazing notes from my friends, and I'm looking forward to working on it and hopefully getting that into some, in a shoppable order soon, and get that out there to either for someone to buy it or fund it uh, to, to help me make the film itself. Um, and then finally, I'm also working on another series uh, called Hand Basket, um, which, uh, is influenced a lot by my experience uh, in the 90s uh, when I lived upstate New York in New Paltz and I played in a band. So it's influenced by that. And in this case, the, uh, the drummer tries to sell his soul to the devil for the huh. band's success. Huh. But the devil is like, you know what? I'm not interested in a drummer's soul. I want your singer's soul. <laughs> he makes an arrangement to sell the singer's soul, but with every time a singer disappears, the devil keeps taking singers. That's quite a concept. 
Thank you. So yeah, they, they always, I, I tend to write um, as what people call a high concept um, things, um, you know, something that's a little different or unique. And it's always some sort of mix of uh, uh, dark comedy. Um, that, that's sort of what I do. That's sort of my brand. I wish you all the best with those projects and especially with It's Time for Tea. Thank and you. in closing, as for It's Time for Tea, what do you want people to take away from watching the film? Um, I guess in one sense, I want people to take whatever they, they, they get from it. You know, enjoy the film however you want. Um, I was talking to someone recently um, who was at one of the screenings, the First Contact Film Festival in New Jersey, um, not long ago that I was not able to make because actually it was on the same night as the Big Apple Film Festival. Um, someone I, I've met a couple of times, don't know that well, but he reached out to me and he gave me his feelings and he said, while a lot of other people were laughing throughout, he was really taken with it. He really felt for these characters. He understood why people were laughing, but he took it a little deeper than that. Um, it could be possible that he has uh, young children himself, so maybe it touched him more than other people. But um, in any case, people always take different things. So I, I want people to get whatever they want. But the other thing I'd like people to take away from it is that, um, you know, 10 years ago, I was unhappy in my life. I was stuck. I took an improv class. And then I started taking other acting roles. I started writing stuff for myself and then eventually I made this film. So, you know, if you need to mix up your life, if you're unhappy, if you've always wanted to make a film, write a book, start painting, start swimming, whatever it is, um, do it. Because, you know, it's a cliche, but we do only live once. And it doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter if you're six years old or 66 years old or whatever you are, um, it's never too late to do what you want. And as scary as it is, just keep believing in yourself and do the thing you want to do. Finally, when and where can we next see It's Time for Tea, both on the festival circuit and after its festival run has concluded? Sure. So right now, uh, I know of a few festivals coming up um, in just about two and a half weeks um, at the Long Island International Film Expo. It takes place in my hometown of Belmore, New York on Long Island, where I grew up, where Karen Morris and I originally met. Um, and that, uh, it's about a week long festival. Uh, we're screening uh, Friday, July 12th during the 3.45 p.m. block. That's the next one coming up. Then um, in early August, it'll be at the Long Beach, International Film Festival, I think. Uh, I should have wrote these down, had them prepared, but that'll be in Long Beach beginning of August. Um, at the same time, also beginning of August, is the Festival of Cinema, which takes place in Forest Hills, New York, and it'll actually be screening at the uh, theater where Patrick saw his first film when he was a kid um, uh, in, in Queens. And after that, in uh, end of September, uh, September 28th, we'll be at the Berkshire Short Film Festival in the Berkshires in Massachusetts. Um, so those are all, uh, th th those are, I know will all happen for sure, but uh, still waiting to hear back from many festivals. So hopefully throughout the fall, into the winter and into next year, we'll, we'll get plenty more screenings. Uh, you can always find out about those screenings by uh, following the film. Uh, 
at It's Time for Tea Film, um, both on um, Instagram and Facebook. Um, and then as far as afterwards, um, I will put it online. Uh, I'd love to get it hosted by um, a company that shows short films. Otherwise, I'll just host it on my own website. Uh, but that won't be until probably next spring once um, it gets to screen at festivals for a year. Anyway, Matt Kaplan, the writer and director of It's Time for Tea, I want to thank you very much for coming on the Viewfinder podcast today to talk about your film and about everything that you're doing. I wish you nothing but success, all of that, and I look forward to seeing not just the film itself, but also everything that you do in the future with your filmmaking. Congratulations once again on It's Time for Tea. Thank you, much. Thank you so much, Chris. Uh, this has been great. I, I appreciate your thoughtful questions, and uh, I had fun, and uh, we'll definitely keep in touch. Thank you so much. I look forward to uh, when you release this podcast episode. You're very welcome. It's my pleasure. I really enjoyed speaking with you today. Thanks, Chris. Have a good one. You've been listening to my interview with Matt Kaplan, the writer, producer, and director of the new short film, It's Time for Tea. The Viewfinder podcast is available on several great audio platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Anchor. You can connect with the show on Facebook.com slash The Viewfinder Podcast and on Twitter at ViewfinderPod. That's Facebook.com slash The Viewfinder Podcast and on Twitter at ViewfinderPod. I'm Chris Hadley. Thanks for listening.